You want to find and keep your tribe of raving fans. I want to support that journey. This is the Digging Deep Podcast with your host, Justin Lamb of 360 Media. I explore ways to help you build a more attractive business that finds and keeps your tribe of raving fans. Hey everybody, this is Justin Lamb and you're listening to episode 29 of Digging Deep where we help business owners build better businesses. Today I'm joined by uh, Ken Burns from Fully Promoted Vancouver. He's an independent owner and operator and has been actually operating since 2006. So he's seen a few ups and downs in this uh, this last uh, decade or so. Uh, but welcome to the show, Ken. Thank you for joining me today. Great to be here. Thanks, Justin. So uh, first thing I'd like to ask people is, you know, how did you get into the business? How did you get into promotional goods? Uh, well, um, in the late 90s, I was studying in Shanghai, and I actually just was at a market and uh, started to put together an order for some custom soccer jerseys I was going to take back home for my team after the semester was done. And I kept those contacts. And uh, from there, uh, I started to develop uh, just, a, just a sports uniform company doing import-export. I always call it a hobby business because it, uh, you know, I never made much money at it. I was basically just doing favors for friends. But I discovered that I, I really enjoyed that kind of business. And uh, by 2006, I'd found a franchise that, uh, that did um, that and more, more of business stuff. And I bought in. It was, um, uh, it was a great move. I'm, I'm really happy that I did it. I've, I've enjoyed it since the nineties. It's a, uh, it's a great line of work. Fantastic. And so tell me, do you had any, what, what was your education like? Where, where did that, uh, uh, you know, did you have anything that related to, to this industry that you're in now? Oh, uh, absolutely nothing. No. Uh, except that I, I was a, I was an arts student. Um, uh, I majored in English and minored in philosophy. Um, uh, mostly I'd, I'd say all of my business, business development was, uh, uh, on the job training. I was a manager for a local casino company for many years. Um, and through them, uh, their, their encouragement, I took entrepreneurial courses through BCIT. Um, and it all just developed from there, but also that's one of the reasons that I, I decided to go with a franchise as opposed to spending the extra time and the same amount of money really to, uh, to open my own business independently was because, um, you know, they brought a lot of the systems and relationships and vendors uh, and expertise, et cetera, that I was going to need to develop anyway. So it really just cut down the timeline. Amazing. So that, I mean, you answered part of the question I was going to ask you is why did you choose a franchise model? Hmm. Um, and specifically, you know, what type of metrics were you looking at when you were deciding on it? Because I think, you know, people who are looking at franchises, you know, they might not necessarily know what they're looking for. You know, how would you, how did you identify what was going to be a good hmm. uh, franchise for you? I've been asked that question a long time and it's been a long time since I made that decision, but I remember very clearly that there was the franchise I'm in now, um, uh, which is uh, also includes a, um, a sign uh, franchise uh, to go along with my promotional products franchise and a couple of other uh, smaller franchises. Um, and then there was a competitor uh, that, um, 
uh, isn't even around anymore. They were called Printware Express, I think. And really what I looked at was the backup. What was their training facilities like? What was their infrastructure like? Uh, how were they going to be able to support me? What were their vendor relationships like? Because honestly, that, that just ends up uh, improving my bottom line if I've got better relationships with vendors to get better pricing. So basically, they had more buying power and a better infrastructure for support. And that was a very easy thing to see. Ultimately, you end up becoming an independent owner operator, you set your own pricing, you set your own hours, you set your own everything. But when you need help, you know, what kind of help can they give you? That was the big, that was the big, um, the big deciding factor for us. So is there anything that, you know, people who might be considering a franchise may not be aware of, uh, in terms of, you know, how do you keep your, your, your licensing, you know, are, are there things that you have to meet, uh, or adhere to in, in order to, to keep, uh, you know, being an independent operator uh, under that license? Yeah, um, I think in I, I think franchising is very different across uh, you know across different industries, etc. Uh, for mine, I, you know, I have a I have a contract that mostly involves um, branding and um, you know some you know some various codes of conduct. Um, but ultimately, um, it's not like McDonald's, right? You know, McDonald's. Uh, supplies all the food, they supplied all the training, they supply all the marketing, and they tell you what your pricing is going to be. And that's a very extreme end of what franchising is. For us, um, really, it's more, um, you know, the buying group, the marketing, the, um, uh, the branding, and, um, you know, a lot of the support uh, that goes along with that. But it's not the same type of rigidity that you would see in, uh, you know, in a lot of the restaurant franchises, for example. So uh, we get a lot of freedom by comparison and we don't have you know like like certifications that we have to meet or anything like that beyond the contract that we have fantastic that's uh that's that's helpful i think in in some sense giving you some flexibility and freedom in that model so tell me you've been a business operator since 2006 and mm -hmm. you know that means that you've seen a couple of upturns and downturns in the market uh mm -hmm. and within different industries uh, tell me a little bit about uh, what that roller coaster ride has looked like uh, since you've started uh, and hung your your shingle out there. Right. Yeah. Okay. So uh, we opened in 2006, and and when we did, uh, the idea was that um, uh, we wanted to get in quickly. It was another reason we decided on the franchise because we had the Olympics coming here in Vancouver, and so we were five ways at five, or four years away from the 2010 Olympics. And that meant that uh, we wanted to have, a, you know, a really viable business in place for that. And uh, that looked great. That would, you know, that, that worked well. Uh, you know, we, we were in, you know, ahead first, both feet. Uh, and then 2008 happened and uh, we're bam in a recession and we're two years old. And, uh, you know, we're lucky to survive that, you know, as, as any business stats will tell you. And, uh, and there we are, we're like, we're, we're, you know, we're now, we're now, we're now eyeballs deep in, uh, in, you know, what the heck is going on with, with very little business experience by that point. Uh, but we survived, we plugged through it. And, uh, you know, a lot of that had to do with, uh, with the networks that I was involved in the type of support I had, um, you know, the, uh, you know, the franchise support was, was helpful through that. But ultimately what we learned to do was just be absolutely extra helpful all the time. It was, um, you know, the, the number one thing that, that helped us survive. If we knew whether there was a 
sale on for jackets. Uh, we told all of our clients, go buy your jackets there. You don't have to buy the jackets from us. Go buy the jackets there. Bring them to us. We will print them or embroider them or whatever you need us to do. Um, and we kind of subsisted on that for quite a while. Um, you know, and then the Olympics came around. And even though the rest of the world was in a recession, um, you know, the the Olympics were great for the local economy. It was a good time to be in business. Um, maybe we wouldn't have survived without it. Uh, we know that several franchisees across North America didn't, um, you know, but, but we did. And we, uh, you know, we ended up pulling out of it quite well. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. And since then, uh, I mean, 2006 to, to, to now, has, has technology changed in your industry? And, you know, how does that impact? Yeah, um, and not only that uh, technology has changed, but also as we've grown as a business, we have added equipment and added processes. Um, and so, you know, everybody has software updates. The software that I was using to turn your logo into an embroidery file in uh, 2006 uh, would never pass, you know, uh, now. You know, we, we have much more powerful software that lets me do more and better things. Um, but also even, you know, the equipment on the floor here, I'm actually, I've actually got my phone perched up on my on my automatic screen printing press and they've been around for a long time but when i started we were only doing embroidery and since then we've added screen printing we have a manual press and an and an automatic press that can turn out you know umpteen number of shirts a day and so uh you know keeping up with that but also growing and developing has been has been important to us um probably the number one thing that has uh changed in that time i was one of the first ones to have a digital garment printer which is basically a gigantic bubble jet printer that prints directly onto t-shirts and the sad thing is is that the technology on that hasn't got much better um you know they're just limited by the types of inks and substrates etc and so while uh you can get a good look from it it's still really costly it's still tough to do and so to be frank uh i still have a digital garment printer that does that but it's in a box over there and uh we do you know we went back to traditional screen printing um you know and it's what 98 percent of our clients need all day every day and so we do everything we can to satisfy as much of the market as we can and so you know as you're satisfying the market when when it comes down to uniforms mm-hmm. i think that's something that's uh, important what are the things that you consider or or what a person who's listening to this needs to consider when they're trying to uh, outfit their team with uniforms or or um, company swag? Mm, and and that's a that's a really big question with a lot of, you know, with a lot of small details in it, because we we cater to so many different markets you know we we do high-end uh you know calvin kine and van housen dress shirts and we do um you know three dollar t-shirts you know like like there's really a broad range and so there's two things i say um that you you really should do and one is talk to a graphic designer um you know i'm not a professional graphic designer i've i've done um you know i've been doing graphic design for a long time but i'm not a professional who works with you on a uniform program and on your graphics logos look website etc but there are people who do and that's an important thing to do if you don't have one and you want to get um you know uniforms done with me i'll refer you to one absolutely but 
you know, that's that's a great first step to make sure that your branding and marketing is is done. And um, and then once you've done that, please tell that graphic designer you want to work with me, and I'll I'll work with you on your uniform program. Once we get to the uniform program, the kind of questions I'm going to ask you are simply like, what is the daily use that each piece is going to get? A lot of people ask me, you know, how much is an embroidered shirt? And that's like asking me, uh, how much is a car, right? What are you going to use it for? Do you need to seat four people? Do you need to seat eight? What, you know, what, what are the details of the use? And when we start getting into that conversation, then we can really narrow things down into what your actual needs are for your day-to-day business and what the best pieces are for you. Fantastic. And so I'm going to guess that, uh, you know, in the operation that you're in, you can't just do it alone. You must have team. Uh, I do. Um, you know, we've, we've got our machine operators, um, you know, who are actually in doing the imprinting processes. Uh, we do have, uh, you know, um, uh, graphic designers, but these graphic designers are mostly responsible for proofs and job setups, etc. cetera. Uh, so they're doing more of the infrastructure and setup work, um, you know, that we need here. And then uh, we have a, a sales staff of two that are doing client management and helping folks with exactly the process. I just talked about asking you the right questions to make sure that we're recommending the right pieces, um, you know, for your uniform program. Amazing. So, as a leader of, of a team, you know, what are some of the, the challenges and struggle that you see on a day-to-day basis? Um, I think in any, in any business um, and, you know, us for sure, it's, uh, it's clarity, you know, on a daily basis, you know, we'll have, you know, maybe one, if it's a large job, but often we're tackling two, three, four, five jobs a day. And so the ability to uh, be able to um, communicate clearly, uh, have all of the details in, because we're dealing with, um, you know, the size of imprinting, uh, thread colors and ink colors, uh, where the placement is, maybe the client has very specific, um, you know, needs in terms of the placement of their logo so that it remains visible under certain circumstances. So all of these things are really important. And so actually what we do in our process is we are all always ensuring that that type of communication is going on with the client first, getting approved proofs with as much detail as possible. And then those proofs are then, they then go from the sales team directly to the production team. And if there's any questions in a morning meeting, then we go through that. But otherwise, all of those details are there so that you know, we, we always say we have a no tears policy. When the client is opening up the box, they should be getting exactly what they expected when they signed off on the proof it shouldn't there shouldn't be no tears at that point that's a good way to put it uh so i I know that you're an avid sports uh enthusiast you play soccer you uh eat breathe and sleep soccer sometimes it appears uh tell me a little bit about uh your involvement in sports and you know does any of that translate into your day-to-day activity as a leader uh as as an entrepreneur Hmm. Interesting. Um, you know, uh, when like, yeah, you know, sports is kind of tough right now. Uh, whenever you happen to be watching this video, we are, uh, just in phase two, I think going into phase three of, of the, um, you know, of the COVID pandemic. And so there's been a lot of, uh, stoppage. Um, you know, we, we haven't played a league game since February. Um, and, 
And right now we're just getting back to practices and there's a, a lot of, um, you know, a lot of talk about what leagues are going to look like, you know, are we just going to play like four team mini leagues, that kind of thing. But um, I think, you know, if I, if I was to say that, that how does, how does sports help me, um, you know, in terms of business, uh, like really in terms of anything, uh, I've always been motivated by team sports. Uh, I've never done well playing tennis or uh, going out for a jog. I hate jogging. Um, I'm more like a dog. I will chase a ball on the grass all day, but, uh, but Lord help you if you try to try to get me to go out for a run, that's just torture as far as I'm concerned. And uh, I think, you know, I think if there's one thing I've pulled out of that in that team sports is, um, you know, for me, I'm really motivated by by how a team is operating and supporting each member of a team. And I do my best to attract people that take the same attitude, um, you know, who are able to work independently and do their jobs, but are really invested in each other and how they're working together. And, you know, that's, that's a recipe for success. Uh, I think in any environment when, you know, you have those two key factors. Somebody's able to work on their own independently on the tasks they're given, but they have an understanding of what everybody's doing and a support for everybody and, you know, what they're trying to achieve. And so how does that play into corporate culture for you? Like, you know, do you, do you feel like that you dictate that or is that a, is that a co coagulation of, you know, all the people in the boat, so to speak, like, you know, people who are, who are independent thinkers may not necessarily be, you know, the, the type of people you want on board, uh, you know, if their if their personalities are, are different. Mm. So, you know, yeah. where does that come into play for you? Uh, so if I understand the question, it, it comes into play when you hire, um, you know, you, you know, you, you, you have a hiring and you do have a, of a, um, a, you know, a, you know, a period of time when, you know, when you're sussing out whether or not somebody is, uh, is really right for the team. And that's when you have that opportunity to see, uh, you know, whether somebody is, is really going to fit into that culture. And it's an easy thing to see, um, you know, how, you know, how somebody's working with somebody, um, you know, are they offering to help? Are they, you know, are they doing the extra things to help the team get by? And so, uh, you know, in terms of our, of our culture, um, you know, we do our best to attract people who, who buy into that right away. Um, and then, you know, it's the example of the people that they're working with that, that is really, the driving force behind that fantastic and you know one of the things that i do realize within you know organization mm. is uh, especially when when you're in a place where you're just trying to get staff in uh you know you're growing too fast that there's generally um a time or a period of time where an owner and operator starts to hire people who don't necessarily fit but they're they'll do for now yeah has that yeah. ever happened to you? And what do you see as an outcome of, you know, the long-term game of having those people just kind of flood in the gates just to fill seats, uh, bums in seats, so to speak, uh, just to get some jobs done? Uh, and what does that do for, you know, corporate environment? 
Yeah, uh, it's a great, a great question. And, um, uh, you know, I'm, I'm sorry if I'm triggered, but uh, we've certainly gone through that before, you know, and it is never worth it. Don't don't put a bum in seat. If you've got to work an extra four or six hours a day until you find the right person, just do it because you're going to be doing that work regardless if you put the wrong person in the wrong position and have to deal with their effects on you or their effects on your team you are going to be doing that work no matter what so uh, it's definitely it's always worth the cost and the time and the effort to find the right person at the beginning uh, so that you're not putting that cost money time effort um, into uh, fixing whatever went wrong because you had the wrong person that's an interesting point and I, I actually I do agree with you but what are your thoughts about this? Um, there, there are schools of thought that says, you know, uh, hire fast and fire fast um, mm. in terms of trying to find the right fit. And, and the predication to that is, you know, people put their best face forward when you're hiring. They'll just try to tell you all the right things up front. And of course, you know, when, when they're put to the fire, uh, they don't perform the way that they've, you know, advertised or, or promoted themselves as. You know, what is your philosophy on that take? Mm, I um I can certainly see industries where where that that works and you know you're probably talking about a corporate culture uh, that is that's maybe different um, you know from what we're trying to do here um, maybe the same just a different set of parameters uh, different infrastructure we are not a gigantic business so you know when we hire somebody they are not one of a hundred people just doing the same job so we you know our finding has always been that if we take the time to hire the right person, then we will, you know, get the benefit of that person, um, you know, being with us longer and filling a key role. When you're a small business, all the roles are key roles. So hiring and firing quickly, it, it's still just costing you a bunch of time doing that training with that person, and then starting again from scratch again quickly. And so let's talk about doing the multiple tasks and, and juggling the many plates that kind of go on in entrepreneurship. Mm. Mm. You know, where does, where does an owner and operator kind of, in your opinion, uh, divert their attention and uh, in, in terms of, you know, do you, where do you outsource? Where do you decide to keep in house and, and what makes those, what factors you know, weigh in on those decisions uh, for you in your business. Gotcha. Um, you know, for us, it, it really has to do a lot with, um, you know, the time availability. You know, when we started, there was just two of us and we did literally everything. And then we quickly got too busy for that. And so our initial hirings were on, you know, what are the things that uh, one, we aren't good at, or two are not driving the business development. And so in our case, uh, you know, the initial hiring went to, um, you know, went to production, um, you know, because when I am, um, you know, having anything to do with production, which isn't, isn't frequently anymore, uh, it's time that's spent away from me uh, helping a client make a decision, um, you know, doing a marketing campaign or doing, you know, any of the things that help drive business. So when it comes 
two, um, you know, looking at what we contract out for, the same philosophy uh, happens there. Um, you know, we've certainly had it happen with production where we've had orders um, um, of a size or, you know, on several occasions uh, just hit a spell where we were so busy that we would actually um, get, um, you know, a an actual licensed contractor who for my industry or even a competitor, um, you know, and we would actually get them to help us do our jobs to our specs. We They basically became a second production house for us, you know, working under our specifications. And, um, you know, the driving factor in that um, primarily was time and that it wasn't going to be a permanent thing. It wasn't a case where we, you know, should be buying extra equipment or hiring extra staff temporarily, that it was, you know, a very time specific uh, type of situation. And so one of the things I feel like small business owners go through is that dilemma about contracting and expanding. Mm -hmm. And, you know, some of them will just try to bring, you know, an enormous amount of people in-house versus trying to subcontract mm -hmm. uh, and or use external, external, you know, third party um, or white labeling agencies. In your opinion, what type of decisions, you know, or what factors are you weighing before you decide to go outwards and rather than to try to bloat your bottom line or bloat your overhead expenses by bringing mm -hmm. somebody in house? The, you know, the, I think it's, it's a question of, um, again, time, um, you know, like what, what is my time best spent at, or what are my key people's time best spent at, and really maximizing that. And so the, the jobs that we outsource, um, you know, first tend to be uh, the jobs that are either really specific, right? So, you know, like, um, you know, a lot of businesses my size, for example, will outsource their bookkeeping, right? Um, because it's a very specific skill set that doesn't necessarily require a full-time person, um, you know, for a business my size. Um, so it may be something very specific like that. Or, uh, as I mentioned, it may be something that was really more about general labor. And I don't want to take the time to bring somebody in to train them. And so I will actually subcontract to, uh, you know, thanks for that, that term. The, uh, a white label uh, printer or, um, you know, even a competitor in order to, um, you know, save the, the time and expense of training somebody new. When do we, you know, when do we then, you know, change into uh, hiring somebody in when we're doing that too much, you know, once we, you know, once we've developed, um, you know, to a point where we've sustained that, you know, um, hiring a white label to do work for us for too long, then we, you know, then we will look at expanding. And that's one of the reasons that uh, I have uh, the mat, the automatic press that I have right now, we simply, you know, couldn't keep up with our, our manual press anymore. And, um, you know, we had been outsourcing several larger jobs. And we said, you know, we can, we can bring that in house and hire another, another uh, press operator. Um, and, you know, be able to sustain that over a period of time. We have, um, you know, certain like financial, you know, and balance sheet calculations that we do in order to justify when we get to that point, which are way too boring here. And my accountant would kill me if I showed them to you. Uh, yes, no, don't worry. We've had bookkeepers on and, you know, we talk about KPIs. 
so, you know, uh, I got to be mindful of time because, you know, um, I try to keep this down to about 30 minutes. So one of the things I like to ask my uh, guests is, you know, is there a uh, reference, a book, a website, something that has really impacted your business or your mindset around leadership building, business building, self-development that you could share with uh, the audience? Hmm. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm probably terrible for this. Um, I'm very experiential. Um, um, I don't, I don't read a lot of the, uh, I don't read a lot of the podcasts or sorry, listen to a lot of the podcasts or, or read a lot of the books. Um, but I, what I do do is I, I network, um, you know, I network with, uh, business profession professionals on a weekly basis. And, um, you know, simply having the brain trust of those professionals, um, um, is, is important. Um, you know, the ability to have conversations with peers in, you know, in their own businesses and, you know, to be able to get feedback from them on things that may be totally new to you and really aren't, you know, that everybody is, uh, is experiencing and going through. Um, you know, if I, if I had to say there was one, um, um, uh, you know, one book that really had an influence on my, on, on my leadership, uh, I would have to say it, um, unfortunately going back to, um, you know, the early nineties, it was, uh, the Canadian armed forces, uh, um, uh, principles of leadership, um, you know, and the, uh, you know, the 10, the 10 principles of leadership that, honestly, uh, you know, hold true to this day. These are very old principles and, um, and they, uh, you know, they, they, they work, um, you know, and they are adaptable. They're adaptable to any situation. Um, you know, if, if I was to say, you know, read a book that may not be an obvious one for business leadership, then I would say read meditations by Marcus Aurelius. Ooh, that's an interesting book. Uh, I haven't dived very deep into it. I've, I think, mm. hit maybe the first 30 or 40 pages. I haven't gone past that. So, yeah. It's, a, it's, an interesting, it's an interesting study on a man who had no peers. And so he was his own inspiration. Um, you know, the interesting thing about uh, a lot of the book is that he's repeating, um, you know, the same themes to himself over the course of years and years and analyzing them in different ways. Um, and, you know, sometimes when you're a small business owner, you are faced with the same thing. You can feel very alone a lot of the time. And so the ability to be your own inspiration and set your own principles and, and, um, be in charge of, of your own conduct. Um, it's, it's very powerful and, um, it's very inspiring when you meet somebody that you see doing that right. I have the pleasure of being around many people like that on a, on a weekly basis who may not even realize how much they mentor me. That's amazing. So, you know, the takeaway for that is, is, uh, utilize the network, you know, go out, meet people, uh, and be humble and open to learning from other people's, uh, experiences mm. over, you know, their, their wealth of knowledge and, and their expertise in their, in their particular niche and genre. Well put. Yes. Amazing. So if people want to get a hold of you and talk, you know, swag and talk, uh, promotional goods, how are they going to get a hold of you? 
we are on the internet. It's all the rage with the kids these days. Uh, so you can find us at uh, www.howtogetnoticed.ca. Um, uh, Facebook is forward slash how to get noticed. Uh, Instagram is fully promoted Vancouver. Uh, or just, hey, Google map us. We're easy to find. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. For those people who are listening, I really do thank you for uh, spending the time with me and, you know, helping uh, me grow this channel. Uh, if, if you enjoyed what you heard, please subscribe, follow us, uh, and a review on iTunes would be amazing because it helps us uh, rank a little bit higher and reach a little bit more people. So, you know, hopefully somebody else will find uh, nuggets and, and wisdom throughout all of these discussions. Uh, as uh, Every, as, as I said earlier, Ken, thank you so much for joining us to here today. Um, and, you know, I look forward to chatting with you more maybe in the future. Sounds great. Appreciate it, Justin. Amazing. Amazing.